Welcome to the Friends of Folklore, where two sisters tell tales from the briny depths of the ocean, the darkest caves hidden in misty mountains, and even mysteries hiding in your own backyard. Fear not, dear audience. Come inside, bundle up with a blanket, a cup of tea, and your favorite fuzzy animal, and you too can become a friend of folklore. Welcome to the Friends of Folklore. I'm Sydney, the tallest of the sisters. And I'm Abby, the smallest of the sisters. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Welcome back. I know. It's good to be back, yeah. Simon. I don't yeah. know what that's from. <laughs> when you're on talk shows and they're like, it's good to have you back. It's, like, it's good to be back. It's good to be back, Conan. Um, um, but no, really, it is. It is good to be back. I have been a busy bee. Yeah. I've been quarantining, and I don't know if you can tell, dear audience, but the bitches in the room were together. <laughs> For like the first time in all of podcast For history. The first <laughs> time in our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we're screaming so loudly. We are so loud so, all over this. Do we need to turn the volume down? Are we okay? I think we're fine. Okay, you're, you're the editor. I'll edit it. So I'm um, back, better yeah. than ever. How was the uh, monster hunt? Fantastic! Thank you so much for asking. Really, a really self fulfilling monster hunt. It's not about the monster; it's about the friends you make along the way. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Um, and if those friends happen to be Bigfoot, all the better. All the better. That's all I'm saying. But I am. Do I even have it open? Ooh, Ooh that's so. a good question. I, I, I do. I have the notes open. Yeah, excellent. Um, I am. This is so weird not to hear you in my headphones. I know. This is so weird, like looking at you and trying to like, and like I can see your notes and usually I can't see your notes well don't read ahead bitch I won't so do you well I I mean I was gonna cover something completely different and then mm-hmm. you were like JK cover this and I was like yeah that's a good ass point well cause I was gonna cover it I, w- I had um I was struggling to choose between two topics and it was this topic and the topic we're doing next week which will remain a secret mm-hmm. but I was like you know this topic is really way more of an Abby topic so I just like called you and was like hey girl can you like Cover this. Cover you can like. completely throw away all of the research you've already done and cover this. Well, no, and I'll still use that that research. Did you get far? No, I haven't even started. At oh, TBH, cool. Never mind. So I think we're fine. And you'll definitely still use um, it. Well, then we might as well just. I mean, yeah. how are you? I mean, oh, I've great. been with you I'm all great. fucking day. Yeah, we've been together I'm, constantly. I'm finally done quarantining, dear audience. Because so was I. I was and so was Sydney. So we went to Target today, and yeah. we went to all of the places. We and have more places to, to go tomorrow. I know. I'm it's gonna be great. Over so the moon. Excited. So I think let's just. Let's begin. What are we covering today? Um, this week, Friends of Folklore, I will be discussing the Maid of Orleans, our lovely Joan of Arc. Yeah. Um, I have a very deep attachment to this week's topic, which makes it funny because I didn't... The thought of mine was like, wasn't to, to cover it, um, mm-hmm. but I think I'm really, really excited. So I think we'd better start from the beginning. Yes. So Joan was born approximately in the year 1412. We don't have an actual specific date for her birth, but um, we know that she was born in Dom Remy. Oh, by the way, this is only the beginning of my terrible French pronunciation. French pronunciations. Um, (laughs) We should really do tongue twisters before we start recording. (laughs) Nah. The real deal. This is the real me. Um, Pluck mother pheasants. No. I am a mother pheasant plucker. (laughs) I pluck a very pleasant mother. Fe- I'm a very pleasant mother pheasant plucker, um, but the answer is no. So, 
We know that Joan of Arc was born in Domremy, which is a northeastern area of France. Mm-hmm. Uh, we couldn't give you the specifics. And even though we're unsure of her birth records, death records are absolutely certain. Joan of Arc died on May 30th, 1431. She died in Normandy, which was under um, English rule at the time. Mm-hmm. Now that's, you know, important. You know, store that in the back pocket for later. Because yep. um, if you're ahead of me, don't be. Now, if we just do a little bit of math, that means that Joan of Arc lived to be about 19 years of age at most. That sucks. Um, Which makes this all the more impressive. Um, So to begin Joan's story, we need to acknowledge the happenings, I think, in the world at this time. So back in 1337, an inheritance dispute over the French throne had flowered, let's say, (laughs) and into one giant pain in the ass. The dispute caused the famous and accurately titled Hundred Years' War. Now, even though that this war spanned from 1337 to approximately 1453, there were times of peace. They took, um, I guess, truces for certain periods, not even months at a time. This bitch is already going for her water bottle. Okay, here's my question. Is the 100-year war the year where the Fire Nation was trying to... (laughs) Yeah, so the Fire Nation attacked, and in this case, the Fry... The Fryer Nation. (laughs) In this case, the Fire Nation is the English, and the Air Nomads are France. I'm not trying to just, like, take the France's side, um, but I absolutely am taking France's side. Here's the thing about England is that these bitches... Took over everything. Yeah. Well, that is fair. Yeah. So, you know, they, they like... Hashtag, hashtag manifest destiny, you know? I mean, so there's that line in Avatar The Last Airbender, which I'm watching. It's on Netflix. Fucking watch it. Um, I'm rewatching it. And there's that line where um, he's like, where Uncle Iroh is like, I thought, I never thought I'd come back to Ba Sing Se, the land of my greatest defeat, as a tourist. And it's like, that's fucking England. <laughs> as a tourist. As a tourist. Seriously. Go ahead. Um, so, where were we? Um, 19 years old. 19 years old. No, okay, so 15, 14, 53. Um, there were times of peace, but that didn't help France's side in the fight because France was still suffering from the population blow that was the Black Death. Bummer. Um, so the Too de- real. Too real. <laughs> so, the detriment caused by the Black Death was only worsened by the English and their terrible but extremely successful military tactics. Mm-hmm. So, English army used a type of medieval warfare known as... Chevachet? Let me see. Chevachet? Chevachet. 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 Which means prominent. <laughs> so Chevachet, which means pr- promenade or horse charge, depending on the context. Okay. But basically what it means is that the English would raid the enemy by pillaging and burning enemy territory. So not only did it cause immediate damage, but it caused lasting damage because they it would ruin crops, it would ruin land. So basically set... This is really the Fire Nation. They set yeah. everything on fire. Yeah. Holy. It's the Fire Nation, Abby. The hundred years... Oh, do you think maybe... No, it's... Maybe? Maybe? I don't know. We'll ask them later. Um, Send them a tweet. So it's safe to say that the French were fucked. The former pair with the fact that uh, the French never achieved any victories over a generation of this war meant that the English were quickly on their way to victory. That is, until Joan showed up. Joan. You know, like, is that what is that? Law and order? (laughs) Dun dun. (laughs) Dun dun. That's me. Okay, so speaking of Joan of Arc. Please. Last year, not this year because nothing happened this year. This is the year that was erased. Last year or the year before, um, at the Met Gala, 
Did you see Zendaya dressed as Joan of Arc? Oh, yes. She oh, that was so cool. She is such a goddess. And, like, she looked so amazing. I forgot. Well, because wasn't the um, wasn't the theme of that one, like, Catholic? It was, like, medieval Catholicism. Or, like, Ren- Catholic, like Renaissance. Something like I that. I know. And then, like, and, like, Amanda Seyfried looked like the sun. Oh, that's so cool. It was such a cool. It was a cool. Anyway. <laughs> it was a so, super cool. Gala. Gala. So Joan was born into a peasant family, and it is known that Joan herself could not read or write, which is extremely remarkable considering the fact that Joan of Arc is considered to be one of the best documented people in her era. Cool. So it's kind of dope that, like, even if you can't write your own history, that it gets written for you. Yeah, she wasn't even, like, journal entrying or anything. No, she couldn't couldn't do it. Um, Matcha. (laughs) Y'all, that's my cat. (laughs) Put her in. It's okay. She's going to oh eat everything. I hope you know what you're doing. I know what I'm doing. I think turning on the fan's a terrible choice. It's so hot. Come here. Come here. Yeah, come for Yeah. Here. So what? what's the tea? She was in here the entire time we were, were doing the you? episode. Did you want to record the Friends of Folklore? Do you want your friend of folklore? Um, my cat baby. hates New York City, so she lives in Albuquerque with her other moms. Hi, yeah. baby. All of them. Why are you wet? She's always wet. I don't like it. <laughs> anyway, Joan of Arc. <laughs> so anyway. <laughs> Joan of Arc. Basically. Oh, you may be wondering, dear audience, how someone so small could, could become such a powerhouse in this war. And the answer is God. <laughs> so around age 13, Joan claimed that she had received visions from Archangel Michael, St. Margaret, and St. Catherine of Alexandria that instructed her to support Charles VII. V-I-I, is that seven? Mm-hmm. Fabulous. And helped him recover France from English domination in the war. Due to these visions, Joan took a vow of chastity and even avoided marriage at 16 by saying that God had, like, she had a mission to follow. Right. So she couldn't marry some rando. And, like, big mood. Like, respect. Nothing but it. Like, I don't want to marry some random farmer. I have a... God and I, we have a plan. And yeah, I have nothing but respect for my president. Anyway. Don't let some dude get in the way of your plan with God. <laughs> That's one hell of a bumper sticker. So... <laughs> Now, how the hell did she get to the queen? The queen. Can I how, try that again? <laughs> now, how the hell did she get to the king, let alone lead his army? Well, I'll tell you. So, in May of 1428, Joan traveled to Vacolurus. Vacolurus? Vacolurus, sure. Which was a stronghold near her home. The stronghold contained men that were loyal to Charles. In her travels to this stronghold, she'd gained a small band of followers who claimed that she was a prophecy. They were like, yeah. she has the goods. I, I so, believe it. So, the prophecy in mind is that there was a virgin who was destined to save France, and Joan of Arc fit the bill. So, despite being turned away from the stronghold in the beginning, the tales of her prophecy eventually persuaded Robert de Bendecourt... Baudricourt. Baudricourt. Baudricourt, who was the captain of the Royal Garçon of the Garrison. Uh, it's a Garrison. Garrison is not a French word. <laughs> Fuck it. The captain of the royal people that went there. So, eventually she persuaded him to let her travel through and into enemy territory, mm-hmm. all the way to Chinon, which is where Charles was. Yeah. So, also note that this time that Charles wasn't king, he was the crowned prince, but he's kind of the main character um, in terms of kings in this. Um, Joan cut her hair, dressed in men's clothing, and off she went. Nice. Once the pair met, Joan promised Charles that she would see him crowned king at Reims and ask for an army to lead lead to Orleans, which which was under siege by... Ooh, wow. Words are hard. I told you, tongue twisters. 
Once the pair um, met, Joan promised Charles that she would see him crowned king at Reims and asked for an army to lead to Orleans, which was then under siege by the English. Now, the story goes that Charles believed her Joan's claims of visions and he believed that only a regime in final straits and like desperation would believe someone so close to God. Like that was kind of his reasoning for allowing her to do this. Mm-hmm. And everyone on his council was like, dude, no, but he did it anyway. <laughs> um, and it was her claim that she would provide a sign at Orleans, a sign that she was doing the Lord's work and that she was sent here for a reason. Because of this, he granted her request and sent her off to the siege at Orleans. The siege is famous for Joan's success of forcing to retreat. Wow, this is a... I did a whole lot of good typing. I did this last night, audience, between episodes of Gilmore Girls. <laughs> um, so the siege is very famous because... This is the same siege that Joan of Arc is riding into battle dressed head to toe in white and yeah. on a white horse. Ooh. So if you Google Joan of Arc, you're more than likely going to come up with this image. It's been recreated thousands of times. Very unaffectually um, by Arya Stark. What? Unaffectually by Arya Stark. Oh, is that what they're imitating in season I don't season know eight? what the fuck is they're in. Season Why eight? is there a horse? The horse disappears in the next episode. Yeah, why, why can't she just keep the horse? Is it a metaphor? Maybe it's is on it the boat. shadow facts? From Lord of the Rings? Could be. I think that... Show us the definition of haste. <laughs> yeah, no, that's what I meant to say. Totally. So I love this idea that her visions and her word was, like, enough. Mm-hmm. Um, especially in the 1400s, like, that. I really enjoy that idea. Mm-hmm. Um, I am partial to a different telling of how she got an army, her own army. Okay. And uh, that tale is told other than Mr. Shakespeare. So, oh, what, what I was Shakespeare. What I was Shakespeare. <laughs> so, in Act One, Scene Two of Henry the Seventh or Eighth, it's unclear. Joan I think of Seven. I think it is Seven because Eighth is is like Queen. Oh, that's uh, times, and that's like the 1500s. that's Sixth, the musical, right? So, in Act One, Scene Two, Joan of Arc arrives at, the, um, at an audience with Charles and explains that she can tell him things only God would know. And um, if he's worried that she is weak, that he should challenge her. And that's exactly what he does. Um, I have the scene here. <laughs> so convenient. Let's just go ahead and read it as if we were in theater class. Well, no, I'm not going to read all of it. But it kind of gives a full description as to who she is. She says that I am by birth a shepherd's daughter, my wit untrained in any kind of art. She says that God's mother deigned to appear to me in a vision full of majesty willed me to leave my base vocation and free my country from calamity. So, like, so far, on par with her whole message. Um, my favorite part of this whole little monologue, if you will, is that my courage try by combat if thou darest, and thou shalt find that I exceed my sex. Just like that. Yeah. Well, it's because... The whole thing that we have to acknowledge is that she has no training. Yeah, yeah. So... She's kind of putting everything out there saying, hey, God's got me backed up. I'm going to fight you and I'm going to win. And he's like, huh, like, sure, whatever. In single combat, thou shalt buckle with me. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no evidence that the two of them fought for like Okay, glory. but I love the idea. But I love the idea <laughs> of fighting for being like, let me fight you. If I beat you, I get an army. It's like, deal. Yeah, 100%. Um, I would love to see that. Right. I've never seen this play or read it. Oh, it's one of my faves. Um, the histories are probably where I'm lacking the most. This is considered to be one of the... It's a Henriad. Yeah. The, the, they are the least favorable of the histories. Well, I've read Henry IV. I have not read Henry IV. Or the fifth, One or the other. Whichever one we read in the South class in high school. But all the other ones I've read are like um, 
when I read them in college, it was all comedies and tragedies. Well, see, and uh, the way that my college set it up is that we would do scenes. And spoiler right. alert, guess who played Joan of Arc in the scene that I'm reading to you right now, audience? It was me. It's your girl, so, Abs. Um, is Titus Andronicus considered a... No, it's a tragedy. It's not that's a tragedy. tragedy. Okay, sorry, go ahead. Um, and then Charles responds by saying, Oh, then come, O oh God's name, I fear no woman. And Joan responds by saying, And while I live, I'll ne'er fly from a man. I am no man. So it says, Here they fight, and Joan overcomes. And he says, Stay, stay thy hands, thou art an Amazon. And which she responds, Christ mother helps me, else I were too weak. It's just kind of that humbleness right. that really goes with her character is that she's like, oh, no, 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 I have help. Yeah. I have visions. I have this path being given to me. I am a simple person. Mm-hmm. Um, we love some humbleness. However, humility, badass. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I just absolutely adore. I mean, I, and I wrote it here again that Joan's ability to become something else, whether it be an act of God or something else is in, in its entirety, the ability to call upon strength and courage and basically kick the king's ass is just like, 10 out of 10 for me oh, in my book. Um, I loved that doing that scene more than anything. Um, I did it with broadswords. And right. that was one of the best things I've ever done in my entire life. And it just, it made me just love her all that much more. Really you know, I'm not a very religious person and I acknowledge that. But there's just something about Joan of Arc that makes me want to be like, yeah! Well, let me tell this story real quick. <clears throat> when I was... Um... When I was uh, 16, turning 17, I turned 17 over this trip, I went to Italy and I got to go to Monte Cassino, which is this abbey at the top of this um, mountain, basically. And the abbey has was built in like the year 200 something, and it's been destroyed eight times between then and now. Oh, wow. Um, most recently destroyed during World War II, someone decided that Nazis were hiding. Mm-hmm. We've and, talked about this place. Yeah, 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 they were hiding in the abbey when in reality they were hiding in the hills. So the Americans... Knowing, by the way, at this point that the Nazis were not hiding in the Abbey, bombed the shit out of the Abbey. They were able to save all of the books, but all of the artwork was was uh, lost. And the Nazis then came and hid in the rubble. Fucking Nazis. Fucking Nazis. But the cool thing about this place was that so everything was like there would be statues that were like half blackened by like burns Burn marks. and half like new marble. And it's just like all of the artwork had been restored. All the churches had been restored. And I am not a religious woman. I have never been a religious woman. But that, like, constancy of faith... It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And Nothing I can 100% better. understand why people would make this pilgrimage to this place and be like, this stood. Yeah. You know? And, like, I could totally understand, like, in a war-torn situation like why it'd be so important to rebuild that for those people so like, exactly i totally hear you i have a ton of respect for that sort of well thing. that's exactly why i think joan is effective and he mentions it himself he's like he believed in reality not shakespeare that <laughs> the people needed her his yeah. troops needed her yeah because and we'll get a little bit more into what she did in the war but she had a very powerful impact on these troops and on these you know soldiers yeah, so yeah. it's i get it yeah. um and I have written here, and now that we've satisfied, satisfied my nerdy desire, I really want to get into the Battle of Orleans because holy shit. Yeah. So Joan arrived in the city of Orleans on April 29th, 1429. And despite being excluded from war councils and being just generally kept out of the loop, every general, all the officials, I'm not quite sure what they would call it in this war, but basically all of the higher ranking officials tried to kind of keep her out. They're like, we don't need a woman here. That's the last thing we need. She's all of 17. But that didn't really stop Joan from commanding the respect and order of her troops. Right. Um, 
Or so we think. Apparently, according to historians, there's a great deal of debate as to what she actually did at the Battle of Orleans. Joan of Arc, you know, she read the, ran the banner into battle. And that's something that you'll see very, very commonly in depictions of Joan of Arc. As her holding the banner and being a vigil, uh, a, the stronghold in naturally, the battle. Naturally. However, it is also stated amongst the noblemen that worked with her that they wouldn't do anything without her advice. Ah. So they, wouldn't, they would not act, they would not fight unless she told them to do it. So it's kind of, it gets you into a dangerous place where it's like, okay, so you didn't kill people. But you told them to kill people. Yeah. I mean, we can get in that discussion all day long, but um, the fact that no one killed or attacked without her say so, I think holds her responsible and holds her a very high rank. And I think they had nothing but the utmost respect for her and her visions and what, and her faith and what she oh, yeah. believed. I can't imagine asking a 17 year old for help about or advice over anything. Mm hmm. There's, uh, there's a song that Neil Gaiman wrote. And he performs it with his wife. Um, it's on Spotify. It's called The Problem with the Saints. Mm -hmm. And it's about Joan of Arc, the zombie, basically, of Joan of Arc, who's hanging around in, like, a park, talking about how she wants to, like, form an army, and how it was a mistake to let them burn her at the stake. <laughs> Spoilers. That's <laughs> but horrible. it's an amazing song. <laughs> I love that. It cracks me up so much. Um... So, you know, you need to, we need to acknowledge that the army was extremely successful because of her. They were able to attack and capture the English, English fortresses. On May 5th of that same year, Joan was then attacked. Yikes. So they had taken a few fortresses, and then mm -hmm. in May, Joan got attacked. Joan was noticeably the leader, or perhaps what they, um, a lot of articles refer to her as the heroine of the French army. And so it kind of made sense for the English to take her out. I mean, yeah, you yeah. take out... Take out your passion, take out your, your joy, you're done. She's kind of the Daenerys, isn't she? A, li a little bit. Yeah. Um, however, the wound that she inflicted from an arrow did not kill her, and she was able to rally her troops towards the final attack that ended up conquering the entire fortress and caused the English to retreat back over the river, which the name escapes me. But that was the end of Joan's first siege, and very successful at that. Yeah. Because of Joan's success, she became, again, a vigil of... You know, um, I brought success again, but that's not the word I mean. But success for the French army. Well, she she's like an inspiration. There right? you go. Yeah. yeah, exactly. She was sent along to help recapture territory from enemies. She saved the lives of several dukes in battle simply by giving them advice. Dude. Basically being like, get away from that and then blow up or stuff like that. Um, Joan also helped in the successful battle of Pate, um, the march toward Reims, as well as the surrender of Oxray. That's a giant yeah, French sure. word. In of Lacroix. Of Lacroix. In Saint Pierre La Mortier. Um, basically, she was kicking ass, taking names all over France. Yeah. So, however, this uh, changed. Yeah. Joan was unsuccessful in the attempt to take La Charité sur Lor. La Cha Charité sur. We guys, we're not. We don't know how to pronounce this word. So she failed. Um, she, they, she, they tried to take a stronghold once in November, and then they tried again in, in December and were, uh, and failed both times. Bummer. This, but despite this failure, she was actually, um, and is that ennobled? Ennobled. Ennobled by Charles VII for her effort. Um. What does that mean? Basically, he was kind of like, good job. <laughs> Did he like, <laughs> like knight her? her basically. Yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> Knighting her, essentially. He was like, way to go, recognize, gold star. Gold star. Total gold, gold star moment. So. 
Around March of 1430, a truce had ensued between France France and England, leaving Joan with some time to cause trouble. Ah. Um, She began threatening a group known as the Hussites that had broken from the Catholic Church. And since (laughs) Joan is all about that church, she wrote them a letter promising to, and I quote, remove your madness and foul superstition, taking away either your heresy or your lives. Good God, Joan. Joan hated heresy above all else and began to stir the pot, so to speak. Um, also, I don't know how she wrote this. Maybe she didn't. Maybe she maybe just said real. it? Or maybe she like had like a secretary? I believe it. Speaking as an administrative assistant myself, I mean, not in my current <laughs> job, but at other jobs I've had, it's like, really? You need me to write that for you? So Joan hated heresy above all else, and really, it really kind of started to cause tension. But luckily for her... Truce was over, and the fighting began once more. Once again. Joan was sent to defend a city in Copany against the English as well as the Burgundians. Man, I picked a lot of hard words. <laughs> However, on May 23rd, 1430, she was captured by the Burgundians, which is English troops, and then was imprisoned at the... Borevoir. 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 Castle. Man, anyone who speaks French. Like, we have, like, one French listener. I don't know who I'm it is. sure he... We, we lost him. We lost him. He was <laughs> like, this was... This was it. Yeah. Um, Joan then did... Like, so she was imprisoned at a castle. Mm-hmm. And then Joan did what any of us would do at a time like this and tried to escape. Oh, okay. She made several attempts, all of which were unsuccessful. She even jumped out of a 70-foot-tall tower, which resulted in her getting moved into a different tower in a town called Aris. She was then traded to the English for a large sum of money and was subsequently moved to Rouen. Where? Rouen. Rouen, which was an English base in France at the time. And despite Charles VII's effort to, like, get her back, he tried so hard. He, you know, it's almost like they had a friendship at this point. He truly cared about her. Really, one of her most successful peeps out in the field. So his attempts were fruitless, though. And nothing says irony like what happens next. Oh, gosh. Joan was put on trial for heresy. This was a clear political ploy to, quote-unquote, get rid of the bizarre prisoner of war with maximum embarrassment to their enemies. Mm. End quote. So basically, they put her on trial for heresy as an attempt to embarrass France, and apparently, like, a kick-me sign just wasn't good enough. Yeah. So this trial attempt became increasingly more difficult as they had zero evidence against Joan. Since Joan refused to testify, um... But that was, it just made it absolutely impossible for it. I mean, I could spend days going over every single trial. There were over 14 trial meetings individually. And it was like 14 days, right? Yes. Jesus. Um, but basically, they had no grounds to initiate a trial. But this meant nothing to them, so they did it anyway. Yeah. They refused to let Joan speak with a legal advisor and even manipulated those conducting the trial to be basically against Joan. They basically rigged the whole shebang... Um, with impartial clerics. They prejudiced the jury. Totally I've did. seen enough Law & Order to know that expression. <laughs> yeah, we shouldn't watch any Law & Order. It's no. not good for us. We're not those kind of people. Not, um, yeah. In short, Joan had to had no chance of getting out of this situation alive. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean she didn't try. Um, and I wrote again that I can't go over the entire trial because dear lord. Yeah. Um, however, I did I put in like a quote from an article yeah. that is just... Ugh, So, this is what happened. Joan was asked if she knew she was in God's grace. She answered, If I am not, may God put me there. And if I am, may God so keep me. I should be the saddest creature in the world if I knew I were not in his grace. 
That is a, and this, like, this question was a trap. They basically wanted her, if she had answered yes, then she would have been charged with heresy. If she had answered no, then she would have confessed to her own guilt. So she was super brilliant at outwitting them. Yeah, she straight up was like, if God wishes it. Yeah, basically she was like, that's up to him. It's like, damn, taking the fire off your butt. Basically, um, and a a court notary at the time later testified that those who were interrogating her were stupefied. So even (laughs) though she had a very good way of speaking, unfortunately, her literacy caught up with her. Oh, her illiteracy? Her illiteracy. Sorry. My apologies. I mean, if her literacy caught up... My literacy catches up with me all the fucking time. (laughs) I should not be reading some of the things I read. Honestly. So Joan, under the threat of immediate execution, ended up signing an abjuration document that she didn't fully understand. Because she couldn't read. Yeah, she couldn't read very well, and they were literally like, we're going to set you on fire right now if you don't sign this. That's fucked up. Um, This document meant that she would renounce all of her visions, promising not to wear men's clothing, which she had begun to do regularly. So while she was in prison, she was wearing men's clothing to, uh, to protect herself from being attacked. So... In the 50s, I think, like as recently as the 50s, you had to be wearing three articles of feminine clothing or you'd be arrested. That's ridiculous. It's fucking ridiculous. Well, and that's, that's what she was trying to avoid is that guards, everyone was trying to attack her and her virginity clearly was it. That was, she right. was, you know, if she's the prophecy, this is what she has to do. She can't not be a virgin. So she wore men's clothing to protect herself. Yeah. And, um... She said, she's like, if you move me away from these people, I will wear what you want me to wear. Right. Um, they basically, she agreed that she'd stop wearing men's clothing. Mm-hmm. She, you know, in the end, she signed this document. Mm-hmm. But it just wasn't enough for the English. And they had to add some, add some salt to the wound. And unfortunately, Joan made it a little bit just too easy. Oh, no. On May 28th, Joan wore men's apparel once more and then was accused of relapsing into heresy. Joan was questioned as to why she would do this, and her answer was of that to, quote-unquote, protect my virginity. Um, It's just so painfully heartbreaking to me. Yeah. Um, But basically, this declaration of relapsing gave the court just... so... Sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt you. So so she was dressing like a man so she wouldn't get raped. Yes. Is basically what we're saying. Mm Mm-hmm. Guys, fucking burn down the patriarchy. Carry on. Thank you. (laughs) Agreed. Um, unfortunately, this, yeah, this gave the court all the justification they needed that she had relapsed into heresy. And, you know, if you're, you know, it's like getting a second DUI. I mean, not in this state, but we won't get into that. You should not, (laughs) you're not allowed to drive anymore. That sort of thing. Right, right, right. So on May 30th, 1431, Joan of Arc was burned at the stake at the old marketplace in ruin. I never realized that she was burned at the stake for wearing men's clothing. Mm-hmm. I thought it was for, like, war crimes. No, it wasn't. Yeah, it, it was wasn't. literally just wearing men's clothing. And the visions that she had from the saints like, and the angels. That's how they got her. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like when we did um, the Eastern State Penitentiary, and it's not Al Pacino. <laughs> Is it Al Pacino? Who am I thinking Val Pacino, an actor, the guy in the really comfy cell who was not the Valentine's Day Massacre. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, it's not Al Pacino. That's an actor. It's not Al Pacino. <laughs> Is it Al Pacino, audience? I don't know. Yeah, that guy. That guy who had, like, contributed to the Valentine's Day Massacre, but was put in jail for, like, tax, tax fraud. fraud. Yeah. Yeah, that you never get them in jail what you want them for. So after Joan's death, the Hundred Years War continued for 22 additional years. And after the war ended, a posthumous trial began. Pope 
I wrote people, but it is Pope. Pope Calixtus? Calixtus. Calixtus III authorized a nullification trial at the request of Joan's mother. Aww. The purpose of the trial was to investigate the legitimacy of the trial and see if it was handled justly. Spoiler alert, it wasn't. The investigation was conducted in 1542, and there was an additional appeal in 1455, which involved analyzing over a hundred witnesses, all of these clerics. Yeah. And in the end, it was decided that Joan was a martyr and implicated the late Pierre Cochon with heresy for convicting a, an innocent woman in pursuit of a secular vendetta. So basically, I mean, the thing was that the, that and Le Pierre Cachon is the person who yeah, yeah, sentenced yeah. her. He was already dead, unfortunately. So the nullification trial reversed the conviction and she was declared innocent on July 7th, 1456. During the 16th century, Joan of Arc became a symbol for the Catholic Church, and she was canonized as a saint um, on May 16th, 1920, by Pope Benedict the 15th. 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 I almost said 10. I was like, I got you. <laughs> um, and while I was on Wikipedia, of all places, BT Dow, um, they included this really fantastic quote from Stephen Ritchie's novel, Joan of Arc, A Military Appreciation. Mm-hmm. And the quote is, the people who came after her in the five centuries since her death tried to make everything of her. D- demonic, fanatic, spiritual mystic, naive and tragically ill used tool of the powerful. Creator and icon of modern popular nationalism. Adored heroine, saint. She insisted, even when threatened with torture and faced with death by fire, that she was guide- guided by voices from God. Voices or no voices. Her achievement leave anyone who know her shaking in his head in amazed wonder. And that... Is the story of Joan of Arc. I love her. Me too. On today's episode yeah. of anyone, I just want to put in a little bubble. I know. Like, I'm sure and... she wasn't perfect, and I don't know enough to, like, know about her imperfections. But, like, she was kind of just a kid. Yeah. She's not even 19. Yeah. You know, it's kind of nice that they that they nullified her verdict or her whatever. Her sentencing. Her yeah. sentencing so soon. Because, like, for context, I'm pretty sure um, Galileo Galilei was not found guilt or found innocent until like 1990 i'm gonna be honest with you i don't know anything about galileo oh he's the one who said that the earth was round and so they were like fuck you is that why they arrested him but i just i think that's that's cool that that her mother at least was able to know that you know she was innocent she was innocent i mean i don't know i'm sure her mother already knew that but yeah but no i mean it's why justice matters and it's why taking the time fucking matters to do things correctly is important, and... And, like, these fucking... Pre- that prejudiced-ass jury, like... I have no patience for justice systems that are that fucking flawed. And I do mean ours, too. Oh, absolutely. Without absolutely. a shadow of a doubt. Yeah, the, the justice system is more often than not used to get rid of difficult people. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with actual justice or truth. And that's how we feel, dear and audience. We're gonna change that, y'all. Hashtag. Hashtag. Um, I am going to be here for a hot minute, dear yes. audience. So we are going to have a few more episodes together. We're going to try to do some in advance. So it'll be a little bit confusing because I'm going to go back home and I have some moving to do. It's all very exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to record some stuff in advance. Not that we're much into pop culture. You know, like, oh, I'm this. Like, oh, did you hear about McDonald? Like, we don't really do that. <laughs> um, so I think it'll be fabulous. But please, please, please follow us 
on social media by searching Friends of Folklore. That's Friends of Folklore without the R-E. Or you can search the Friends of Folklore on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And please, 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 we need the spooky stories. Make them spooky. Make them weird. I don't fucking care. If you think that you saw, like, a ghost, like, let's hear about it. I don't care if it's seven minutes, not even seven minutes long. I want to know. Please, please. Email us at thefriendsoffolklore at gmail.com. And thanks for being a friend of folklore. Yeah, I appreciate you guys. We love our audience so much. We really appreciate you guys being awesome. Mm -hmm. And thank you so much to our mother and my sister's husband for stepping in for me. Y'all are the real MVPs, but they already knew that. Um, (laughs) And thanks for being a friend of folklore. Talk to you next time. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye.